was about 6.45. I had worked, oh, 70, 80 hours that week. I was working out in California, and uh, I was waiting for my replacement. It was at the end of the week. Everybody had partied all week back home, July, July 4th weekend, and I was away in California, slaving away working, and I really, really had an amazing week, an emotional week, and I wanted out of that job. I mean, I, I wanted to leave. I wanted to come back home. So at 6.45 in the morning, my replacement was supposed to be there. I'm supposed to give him a report for half an hour, and I work at the hospital in an in a ICU, and uh, the time goes on, it's seven o'clock, and I'm really ready, because I gotta catch a plane at nine o'clock, and it's a lot of traffic between there and the LAX. And so I had cut it close so I could make it home before midnight. It just takes forever to get back with a few layovers. So I, had, uh, I was really watching the clock, and my replacement wasn't showing up. And so about seven, 7.15, I'm thinking, this is, this is horrible, I'm gonna miss my plane. And I still gotta give a report, not a bunch of patients. So uh, finally, the uh, other perfusionist, you know, other colleague that I have that does what I do, shows up at 7.15, says, I had lost my keys, I'm sorry. And I gave him a report, the fastest report I've ever given. And I just bolted out the door and I ran for that car. I made it to the rental car place. I dropped it off and there was the longest line I've ever seen at the rental car place. It was just packed with people. And for some reason, I said, it finally clinged, later on, it, it clicked in my brain that it was a July 4th weekend, and people were going home, and I could not even drop off my car. I had to drop it off in Timbuktu, get no receipt. I had to run to the bus, I ran. I finally got dropped off at the airport, the longest lines at the security thing. It was just the longer than ever. I finally, you know, uh, get there, get to the gate, and I'm running through the airport kind of like OJ, for those of you who are old. There's an old uh, commercial where he's running through the airport, and uh, I finally make it to the gate and I make it in. And I make it in and uh, I just got so much on my mind and I, and I make it in and you know how it is, the Southwest, and you, you finally get in line like cattle and you make it into the seat and you sit sitting there at the seat and I get a window because I love windows. And we take off and boy, I'm going home. I'm going home. And uh, they said this would work, there we are. And uh, I'm at the window, and I, I sit down, and, and I look, and I finally look out. You know, it's been a lot of stress, and I look out, and I see it. I couldn't believe my eyes, what I had seen. I had, this, this had been a long time, I really couldn't up, wow, look at that, what is it? Have you ever had questions in your mind about how how God sometimes doesn't answer prayers that you have. You've had uh, petitions that were very heartfelt. Lord, where are you? You know, when I ask you these things. Or have you ever dreamed of maybe making it big? You know, when you were young, someday I want to be the next Tom Brady. You know, and I want to be the next great football player. Or I want to be the next great, uh, you know, whatever it is, you know, rich, you know, powerful person. Well, this sermon is for you today. Have you ever desired to be uh, a person that, you know, has it all, live in the finest neighborhoods, who uh, lives the dream everybody wants, you know? A lot of people are like that. Well, this sermon's for you too. And how about, how about people here maybe that are young, that maybe uh, like social media? 
You know, you like social media? Well, this sermon's for you too. I want you to pay attention during the sermon, you know? And also for, have you ever taken a shower? You right? This sermon's for you too, because I got something here for you. But before we, we open the word of God and we get into the word of God, I'd like to invite you to pray with me. Father, this morning, Lord, if you can use a donkey, Lord, to speak, you can use me. Lord, I, I open myself up to you to be led by you. May your spirit speak today. Lord, please guide our time together and draw people with your spirit, Lord. Work on, on their hearts is my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like you to open your Bibles with me to the book of Daniel, chapter 10, verse 23. Now, I'm going to read this chapter, not this chapter, a couple verses here, and you're going to say, what in the world is he talking about? But it's going to come together. Daniel chapter 1, and it says, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was called Belshazzar. The message was true, but the appointed time was long. And he understood the message. You had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food, no meat, no wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. Now, you know, I, I was reading the book of Daniel as part of my devotions. And when I read the book, I don't just read it as, hey, I'm getting more knowledge. Lord, what is it that you have for me? What do you want me to get out of this? I mean, how does this apply to me? And so I'm reading it and I'm asking God, Lord, this is a great story, but you know, like, where does the river meet the road? So I, I, I kept on reading. And so Daniel here, apparently, something big is going on. And Daniel is really praying about it. And he's praying about it so much, he is fasting. Have you ever had something like that in your life that you pray for? Something that you really, really meant a lot to you, and you're just struggling, just holding. Maybe it's a big test, you know, a boards test, you know, that you're going to take. My daughter's going to take her boards here soon. I mean, she's holding on to the horns of that altar, I'm sure, you know, praying and asking God, you know, maybe a little fasting. Maybe uh, you have something else, maybe a family member who is sick. Or, or maybe uh, something's happened to your job. Or, or, or maybe your marriage is going on. Something's going on with it. Or maybe you just don't understand what's going on with your life. And you're wondering, Lord, where are you? And you're praying. Well, Daniel here had the same question. And God is amazing. If you continue further down, and uh, just to shorten the story, he gets to, uh, God sends an angel to Daniel, the angel Gabriel. And he explains to him, you know, what's going on. And the point today is not about this story. It's about what's going to come after this. And it says, Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from, from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard. And I come, and I am come, I wrote that wrong, and I come in for thy words. Right? And it says, I can't see that red writing from here. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty-one days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princesses, came to help me, and I remained there with the king of Persia. Now, you would think 
it's a little obscure why I'm bringing this, this verse out to you. But as I read this, I said, Lord, what is it that you have for me in this verse? Why would you put this verse in the Bible and tell me this is a nice story? You know, Gabriel comes and talks to Daniel and explains to Daniel, you know, about, about the verse. But what I really want to show you is not about what's happening in the story. It's the, this is the first verse in the Bible that really parts the, what's going on behind the scenes of the world, of history. And if you read a little bit, and I'm going to share with you through the pen of inspiration, a passage. And this is going to be the only passage that I read. One more thing I'm going to read. It's a little long. It's about a, a paragraph. But this will give you insight into what I'm really trying to tell you today and what God really has for you today. So I'm going to look at what the pen of inspiration has, and I'm going to share with you the crux of what I want to share with you today. And this is what it says in Pictures and Prophets and, and uh, SDA Bible Commentary. In order to refute Satan's claims that God is a tyrant, the Heavenly Father has seen fit to withhold his hand and to allow the adversary an opportunity to demonstrate his methods and to seek to win men to his cause. God does not force men's wills. Now, before we go further, the angel, Daniel, is praying for a prayer request. Lord, you know, they had promised that the Israelites were going to rebuild the temple and were going to leave. They were in captivity. And Daniel's going, whoa, this king is, is thinking, maybe I'm not going to let him go. Maybe something's going on. It's, it's a little complicated, the story. But what I want you to focus on is that God is working on the king's heart. Daniel is praying. The answer doesn't come right away. And Daniel keeps on praying for 21 days. And God is sending an angel to work on the king so that it'll make it happen. Now keep on reading what it says. He allows Satan a degree of freedom while through his spirit and his angels he pleads with men to resist evil and to follow the right. Thus God demonstrates to the universe that he is a God of love, not a tyrant that Satan has accused him of being. It was for this reason that Daniel's prayer was not immediately answered. The answer waited until the king of Persia made his choice for good and against evil by his own free will. And it says, here is the true philosophy of history. God has, has set this ultimate goal, which most certainly must be reached. By his spirit, he works on the hearts of men. By his spirit, he works on the hearts of men. Cooperate with him in attaining that goal. To cooperate with him in attaining that goal. But the question as to which way any individual chooses to go is entirely his own decision to make. Thus, the history are the product of both agencies and of human free choice. Obviously, I failed in English when I wrote that, you know? When God was working on King Darius's heart, he could have very easily made the king bow down and do what he wanted in an instant. But it says something about God. And when God put this scripture in the Bible, he is saying something to you and me. He says, I'm not that type of God. I come from a place in Cuba where there's a dictator, right? And it's a part of the story that forces people to do their will. But here God says, no, I'm going to work 
and graciously work on the king's heart. He even sends Jesus himself in the story, read the whole story, to work on the king's heart so that the king would, by his own free will, give his heart and do the right thing. And this is an important point, how it applies to our lives. I'd like to share a little more now with you, and I'm going to share four stories of what's happening in my life. But in these four stories, right, I got to give you a little background. You're probably clueless when I say the word perfusionist, what it means. That's what I am. I'm a perfusionist. A perfusionist is somebody who runs a heart-lung machine like this, right? We work in open-heart surgery, and we deal with a lot of blood. You know, all your blood goes through the equipment. We are the artificial heart and lungs outside the body. And this is what I do for a living. And when I share these stories, I have to share a little bit about in my job what I do and how God is working, right? And so this, this is me in heart surgery here. Uh, it's a place where it's almost like a factory, right? You, you, you're in and, and the patients are going by and they're all under the drapes and you don't get a chance to really connect with anybody. Everybody's asleep, right? And I, sometimes I can even close my eyes and smell, and if it smells like tacos, I kind of know what type of patient we have, you know? But <laughs> that's a joke, right? Okay, I mean, I've done this for 30 years. 30 years now I've been doing this type of surgery, but you guys know my personality. I like people, and this is what I've been doing, you know? Like in a cave, it's cold, you know? And you don't talk to anybody, right? But now God has me doing something different. See, I didn't want to leave Erlanger. For 30 years, I've worked as a cardiovascular perfusionist in heart surgery. But I've been praying, Lord, you know, I, I want to be in the front lines for you. I want to give it all up for you. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, I'm going to be a missionary in Africa. I'm going to be, you know, doing something big, you know. And uh, no, God's not answering my prayer. Remember the story of uh, King, the king, right? Got three weeks, not answering my prayer. Lo and behold, instead of answering my prayer, this job here at Erlanger, you know what they do? They tell me, hasta la vista, baby, right? And I'm gone after 30 years. They forced me to do night shift and a change of administration, and I'm gone. 30 years, like, Lord, what is happening here? I mean, this is, I, I was the best employee they had. So now, all of a sudden, I am doing something that is a lesser job. I am doing ECMO extracorporeal membrane oxygenation. I'm working with patients in this little baby machine. See that little baby machine right there? It's a little artificial heart and lungs outside the body. And I work in the ICU instead of working in the open heart arena, you know, with all the big doctors. And, you know, I know we have a few surgeons here, you know, so I got to be careful. So, uh, you know, it, 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 I'm working with them, right? And I'm keeping these people alive. But here, I work with the patient one-on-one -on -one, and I'm working in the ICU. Lord, what do I do for work, you know? And the day I left Erlanger, I got a call from a company who has never hired a cardiovascular perfusionist before in their whole lives. Republic Health Systems called me up and said, hey, listen, we're looking for somebody to go to UCLA Medical Center to work as a perfusionist. UCLA Medical Center, wow, that's a pretty prestigious place. I said, well, all right, you know, I'm looking for work, I guess, you know, and I take the job. That's the first time they've ever hired a perfusionist in their whole life, that company. They have like, you know, thousands of nurses and they have one perfusionist. So now I go to UCLA and when I go to UCLA, I start working with people. And now I'm doing something different that I've never done before. I'm working with people in the ICU and I want to share four stories of four people that I've worked with that have changed my life. 
this is what, this is what I, I work with patients like this. Now these pictures are, are off the internet. You know, there's a, they're not actual patients. I cannot say the names, you know, and uh, I'm gonna use some bogus names to, to get the point across, right? But like this, right? I walk around with them and, 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 and that line that's coming off the back of them, it better not get severed because that's their life, right? That machine is the heart and the lungs, right? And they're awaiting a transplant. They're awaiting something, hoping for something, you know? So there I am, you know, working with them. But today I wanna start with my first story. I wanna talk about Mary. Mary was a young girl about the age of 25 who was like my daughter, Christy. She was a young girl that had everything. She, she had everything. She had good looks. She had um, intelligence. She was doing really well in school. But she was, in the, uh, she was born with pulmonary fibrosis, a condition of the lungs. And her situation was that her lungs were deteriorating to the point where she couldn't breathe anymore. And conventional mechanical ventilation, right, which is a ventilator, a tube in the mouth, didn't work. So she was going to die, but she needed a transplant. So UCLA is the number one heart transplant place in the country, 700 transplants a year. So this is one of my patients, right? And this is not Mary. This is an older Mary there, but that's not Mary. And I, I made up the name. So uh, I'm working with Mary and her mother, you know, it's a nice mom, you know, and she brings nice food and we're getting to know each other and she cooks and brings me food too, you know, because we're getting to know each other, you know, I like to visit with people. And, uh, I, you know, I'm with her a few days and after a few days, her mother says, you know, we, her mother and I really strike up a lot of religious conversations. She's a very religious person, her mother. And we're really kind of hitting it off. And the daughter is on her phone, on FaceTime, Pinterest, whatever. What's the latest? You tell me. She's on it, right? And her mother said, hey, listen, hey, Mickey, would you mind talking to my daughter? You know, her daughter is dying. Her daughter's arms and extremities are turning blue or black almost from being on this machine so long. The cells get destroyed and, and she's waiting, waiting for a heart or waiting for lungs. And it's just not happening. And she knows that her daughter's time is just ticking, but she doesn't. And she's been praying for her daughter, but the daughter you know, isn't interested in God. Now, go figure that, right? Do you know people like that? That, you know, they're in the, head in the wrong direction, but they're still not interested? Well, the mom, mom said, please say something to her. I said, okay, okay, all right. What can I say, Lord, what should I say? I said, you know, Lord impressed me. I said, give her your testimony, you know? My testimony, I said, okay, I, I will. And then I, I found out that this, this, this Mary didn't have a dad you know, and that she was really struggling, looking for relevance in her life, and she was looking for things in her life to, to fulfill that void, but I knew what she really needed was something different, so I told her, hey, this is Mary, by the way, and I sat with her, just like you and I are talking right now, and we sat across from her again, and it's quiet in the ICU, it's at night shift, you see, it's not as busy, people are not running labs, and they're not running everything, and I've got a private audience with somebody that's dying, go figure that, you know, Lord, really? And here I am sitting across from her and I'm talking to her and I share with her, listen, I, me too, you know, I, I, my dad left us when we were eight years old, you know, I, I'm like you and, but I was looking for things and I, I was looking for happiness and things and I said, I, I remember I, I wanted a car, I wanted a Bandit Trans Am and, and Lord and behold, I, I finally got that Bandit Trans Am, I thought it was cool and after, you know, a few months it, it was a cooler car, you know, and uh, it was old already, you know, somebody else got a nicer car. And I said, well, maybe when I, I get some girl at school or something, or, or I get a certain amount of clothes, right? Or I, I said, maybe later on when, when I become a perfusionist, 
six-figure salary, you know? Whoa, I'll really be happy, you know? And she was listening, you know, and I said, no, no, you know, I was really empty. And I said, well, maybe someday when I have a, a house, a little McMansion with 20-foot ceilings in the gated community, I'll be happy. And no, I know, I, I wasn't happy, you know? And so I shared with her that it's only till I found uh, intimacy with God, our Creator. It was only at the time when we really stop and listen and understand that God is seeking for us and wanting to have a relationship with us. And so I was able to share with her a little deeper on how God has been searching for her and is using events in her life because he doesn't read the Bible. But God uses events, we read about it, right? And situations so that people who don't read will listen and finally look up, right? Sometimes people don't look up unless a brick hits them in the head or there's a mountain maybe in the way. So uh, Mary uh, decided that evening that she would give her life to God. You know, we, we, uh, we prayed together uh, miraculously. I don't know, I don't think it was directly related, but that night uh, she was called in for a lung transplant. And I had left that day and I didn't know, but later on I heard she did well. So she did really well. That was my first patient, you know. And it says, remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you shall say, I find no pleasure. And God is speaking to us. And for the young people in this audience, he's saying, what is he saying? Now is the time, you know? Now is the time to do it. Sometimes you don't even get a second chance. This is not even the story, but I remember, uh, uh, not even part of the story, but I'm going to say it, you know? Remember in the operating room here at Erlang one time, I saw a 16-year-old girl on her first date. My daughter was 16. And she went out on a date, and she got killed in a car accident. Now, she was, got all primped up and going out. She thought she had the world ahead of her. But she died that night. And I think about the young people, you know, who are looking for stuff and God is calling out them, please listen, I'm trying to reach you. And he sent some, some Cuban guy from Tennessee all the way to Beverly Hills, you know, UCLA, to talk to this girl and to try to reach her. You see how God is? God is using every means possible to talk to people. That's what he did with the king. For three weeks he tried. This, the next patient I'm going to talk about is, uh, I'm going to call him Habib. Because Habib, I'm thinking, I'm thinking of a Middle Eastern name, you know? Uh, you know uh, Habib was a Middle Eastern guy, and he was the tallest guy. I mean, the tallest, I didn't know where that came that tall, maybe Goliath. But the guy looked like a mammoth in that bed. And he was tall. And uh, he had, he was an Olympian. He had won many medals. And he had, had, he had been at the top. Habib did. But Habib had been at the top, but yet he wasn't fully satisfied. He was looking for something. So what was he looking for? He abused opioids and, uh, and drugs and, and, and all sorts of uh, alcohol and stuff. And he was now um, to the point now where he was dying. And it's amazing. This country is amazing. I'm going to say a plug-in for this country. He had only been in this country one year. And yet he was a candidate, you know, for a lung transplant. I mean, he was still smoking and he had give, just given it up recently. Lord, this country is amazing, you know? Came to this country, they gave him a lung transplant. So uh, as, as, he, as he's there dying, the story is about, not Habib, it's about his son. His son lives in New York, and his son came to the ICU room. And in the ICU room, I, 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 see, I see his son, let's call him Omar, you know? You know, Omar is sitting in the, in the room, and, and, and the guy's got a beard, he's looking at me, you know, like, whoa, two bearded guys, you know, it's kind of, but I, I try to break the ice, I try to be nice, and say, Lord, love the guy, you know? And I saw the guy had no money, nowhere to stay, so I told him, hey, listen, if you don't have a place to stay, why don't you use my hotel room, you know? Because 
I'm here all night, and, and you are, you're sleeping in, in, in here in a harbor. You have nowhere to stay, you know? I said, why don't you go ahead and take a shower? And he said, really? You would do that for me? You know, you know, Middle Eastern guy. And I said, sure, you know, go ahead. And he couldn't believe it. Remember Jesus' method, you know what it is, right? And so the guy started listening to me, and I started sharing with him, hey, you know what, I've been, I've been reading a lot of stuff lately about Middle Eastern guys. You really, you have? I said, yeah, I'm talking about this King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar, yeah. <laughs> and the guy said, yeah, and I'm starting talking about all this, and, and, and there's this story in the Bible, Daniel chapter two. The guy was not a biblical guy, you know, religious guy. So I'm telling you about Daniel chapter two, and he's listening to the story. His stories are really good to get people, right? And, and he's listening to the story, and he says, wow, king, head of gold, Nebuchadnezzar, and, you know, Greece, Medo Persia, and the feet of clay. And I bring it down, he's listening, he's eating it up. He says, wow, I didn't know all this. This is real. And, and we talked about stuff, and he's really connected. And I said, listen, uh, Omar, Omar, I said, Omar, there's no coincidences why you're here today. You see, God, right, you know, what, what, it says, but as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. Satan wanted to knock out his dad, but God wasn't done with Omar and with his dad. God was using that situation, that mountain of a situation, to reach Omar for the truth. You see, he brought him from New York to UCLA Medical Center to sit in that ICU at night so we could have a one-on-one -on -one talk. God is organizing events in people's lives so that he could reach them and he could win them. You see, because God has a heart for Omar and God is working every angle to save Omar. And so uh, Omar, um, I gave him the great controversy and he said, hey, we're gonna keep in touch and uh, I'm praying for Omar, you know. I have another patient that uh, was a very famous producer. He was a person that produced big movies, you know, uh, Men in Black and blah, blah, blah. And, and uh, uh, he was big. I could see, I could see on his wall beside ICU, and I, can't, I, I took a couple of pictures, but I can't show him, you know? He said I could take pictures, but I can't show him because I'd, I'd be crucified, you know, yeah, HIPAA regulations. And so uh, he had very famous family and very famous people that would, uh, you know, come around. But at nighttime, uh, let's call him Steve. Oh, let's say uh, Joe. I like Joe, because everybody, uh, Joe, right? Uh, Joe was, was in the ICU bed, and he, he, he was lonely at night. I remember he was about a middle 60s guy, and uh, I would go in, and I'd see him, and, and I'd talk to him, and I said to myself, and I started having feelings for Joe. I said, this guy has got a foot on a banana peel and one in the grave. Right? Because he, he was on this machine, but he had abused drugs so bad that they wouldn't give him a heart transplant. And he was finding this out. Then when they put him on, they didn't really understand the whole situation. Then they figured out that he only had a 10% EF, you know, uh, his heart was just barely beating like a mashed potato, right? barely beating. And so there was nothing there. And so this machine was keeping him alive, and he, but he couldn't get a transplant. And so I'm working with him, and I know this, but he's got hope. And I know the guy, you know, he's not looking good, you know, he's circling. And I'm saying, I need to talk to this guy. I need to reach this guy. When I mean, this guy said, I talked to him a little bit, and he said, listen, I don't have any religious background, you know. I, I think my, my parents were Jewish or something. And I said, I've got to reach this guy. I've got to say something. He's going to die. He maybe will never get the message again. 
So I, as I'm talking to the guy, I reach out to him and, and, and I come over to him and I put my hand on him, you know? And I put my hand on him and he looks at me and, and, and then I start talking to him, really nice. And I tell him, listen, you know, that, have you thought about, you know, that God, God loves you? And, and then, God, you don't understand this about God. And I start telling him about God and I gave him some literature that night. And that day he, he read it. And the next night, he, uh, I saw him, he said, hey, thank you for that literature, it really meant a lot to me. And so uh, I connected with him some more and I, and I prayed with him. And I knew I was leaving. I knew I was leaving and I wasn't gonna see him again. And that next morning, they were gonna do the last test on him. They were gonna trial him off the machine. If he didn't come off the machine, they were gonna turn off the machine because you can't leave somebody on there indefinitely. So they were gonna turn it off and he was gonna be die. And I knew, and I knew when I left that morning, what it meant for him. I really, I had tears in my eyes for, for, for Joe, you know? And it really, 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 I cared about Joe. I just met Joe and I cared about him. And I said, listen, Joe, listen, listen to me. I really care about you, man. And, and we kind of bonded. I mean, I put my hand on his head and put my arm on his shoulder and I, we held hands. It was like, whoa, one of those moments. And I, I loved the guy. And I said to myself, if I just met this guy and I love him that much, I said, listen, your heavenly father, he's been trying to reach you your whole life. You see, ever since you were a baby, God has been trying to connect with you. Steve, Joe, right? He's been trying to connect with you and he's been trying to reach you, but he's been, you've been too busy with stuff, with material things. And so now at the end of your life, God hasn't given up. He brought me from Tennessee to talk to you, to tell you that he loves you, right? And I told him about the parable of the vineyard owner. And he said, what, the parable of the vineyard owner? And I said, yeah, it's a parable of a guy that was a rich guy and people came to work for him at different hours. And one guy came early and one guy middle, middle of the day and one guy came at the last hour. And, and the vineyard owner said that the guy that came at the last would get the same amount of money as the guy that came at the beginning. There it is, saying these last have wrought but one hour, and thou hast made them equal unto us, which have borne the burden and the heat of the day. God was telling Joe that even though he was at the end of his life, in this story, that he had never read, but I had to say it to him, that God really wanted him home, that heaven would not be the same without him. And he said, whoa, the type of God is that? Yes, I, I, I'm interested in a God like that. And so we, we, we prayed, we parted ways, and I left. And as a matter of fact, that morning, the morning I left and I caught the airplane. But before that, I had a, another situation during the week, my last patient that I had, and I'm gonna call him John, right? Because John was a strong, burly guy. He, he, he was tatted up, you know, and uh, you can tell he had lived a little. And he's probably in his 40s. And, and John was, had suffered a heart attack, and he had suffered a heart attack while he was taking a shower. And see, John was living his life up to the fullest, but one day in, in the shower, now, I don't want to put this in your mind the next time you take a shower, you're thinking about this, you know? But, but he, he had a heart attack and he lay there in that shower 36 hours so they found him, right? 36 hours, they found him, they rushed him to the hospital and thank God for the good US of A, they put him on this life-saving machine and he was alive and he was my patient. He was laying in that bed. I walked in and he said, this guy is a goner because this guy, his, rot, his organs have kind of rotted and they weren't 
couldn't clot, and he was bleeding to death, and his brain was mush. And I knew he was going to die. And as a matter of fact, that night, they said, he's going to die. We're going we're to have to let him go because there's nothing else we could do for him. So they called the mother and the family in and his son, 13-year-old son. And, and they stood around, stood around the bed, and I had never been in this position. I said, Lord, this is a really bad position to be in. I run the equipment that, that, that keeps the, the blood pumping and the heart and the lungs. I got to turn it off. Every time I've turned it off, people are asleep and you don't see anything. You know, okay, you know, all right, they, they passed away. You know, it's not that bad, right? But this time I, I could see the, the, the look in the people's faces. And I stood there in a kind of semi-dark room. It was real quiet. And, and uh, they turned off all the drips and I, and I had to turn my machine off. And as I turned my machine off and, and the EKG went to, to a flat, because he had a little bit of a heartbeat, but it was like a mashed potato. And after it went to a flat line, I'll never forget the look on his son. He had a 13-year-old son, like I have a 13-year-old daughter, almost 12-year-old daughter. His son started shaking. I said, Lord, this is horrible. I said, death is horrible. To see the son, to see his dad die. I said, Lord, why are you allowing me to see this? What, what, I don't understand what's happening here. You know, this is a horrible thing to witness. I saw his mother, his family, it was, it was just in disbelief, 47 years old, you shouldn't be dying. But he died that night, you know. And as he was laying there, you know, God spoke to me. You know, God spoke to me. And it says, the Bible says, Ecclesiastes says, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For that is the end of all men, and the living will lay it to his heart. And I said, Lord, why have you allowed me to do this? And I thought about what life was all about, you know. And so that week... Well, it had been an interesting week, you know? And now, I want to take you back to that morning where I was running late, and I was leaving the hospital. And I had an amazing week. And I knew that day at 12 o'clock, they were going to turn off the machine for my friend uh, Joe, because I knew they were going to do the test on him, but I had to catch a plane, I had to leave. So when I left, and, and, I, and I caught the plane, and I, was, I sat there, you know, the hustle, people are running around, hustle and bustle. And you're thinking, and you're thinking what's happening. This guy is going to lose his life. And I started thinking and, and meditating upon what life was all about. And I looked out the window. And I saw it. I saw what I told you about at the beginning. Would you like to know what I saw? That's what I saw, <laughs> you know? Now, now, many of you here who don't fly much, I like to give somebody 100, 100 points, whoever can tell me what, what that is, you know, who's never flown before. I'll give Dan Drexler, you know, the five points, because he, he knows what that city that is, probably. That's a very insignificant city, right? It's just another city, one of the many cities in this country, right? But that's Albuquerque, New Mexico, that's Sandia Peak, I can recognize that. And as I looked out the window, I remembered, where's my Bible? I remembered... I remembered the verse that, that, that I read. It said, you know, that Daniel had been praying and God hadn't, you know, it seemed like God wasn't answering the prayers. It seemed like God was, was 
was not there. But yet God, during those three weeks, had been working feverishly to work on the king's heart. And I had been praying in my life about wanting to be in the front lines for God. And when I looked out that window, when I looked out that window, I said to myself, Lord, you've taught me something here today. I noticed that what life is all about. I looked out and I looked at that city and that city, I saw those little specks and in those little specks, I noticed that there was lives and families in each one of those houses. And yet inside each one of those houses, there was a world of people running around like gerbils in a gerbil wheel, running, just stuff, busy with life. And here I was at 30,000 feet and I could see things differently. I could see that the little things that they were really struggling for were just little, tiny little things that were really insignificant. And God was saying to me as I was looking out the window, that's you, Mickey. That, that's your life. I want you to look at life differently. What is life really all about? I've been calling for you, and I want to take you to the next plane instead of running around like, you know, Indians over there or chickens with their head cut off, you know, looking for happiness and looking for stuff and just endless God throughout that week had taught me that there's more to life than stuff, right? And more to life than achieving a, being an Olympian or being a famous producer or, or, or being young and having the whole world ahead of you. That life can be gone in an instant. But the interesting twist about the whole story is that he wasn't just teaching me about that. God had been working all along to show me that there was real joy in serving him. You see, because I had thought I wanted a career that made money. I said, I want to continue being a perfusionist in a prestigious hospital, you know, and working with regular, regular, not in a little ICU, little, doing little stuff, you know, like I, you know, I was doing before. But God said, I, I need to work on this guy. This guy, is, he's thinking wrong. He says, I need to get him to enter into the joy of the Lord. You see, as I was working with those patients, I started really understanding how happy I was. I had, I had called my wife and said, honey, you won't believe the experience that I had. I had shared with these patients and they got it. And, they, and I could see it in their eyes. They understood. They got the gospel. And they were so happy and mean. I said, Lord, I, I could fly home. You know, I said, I was, I was riding high. When you serve God, you really find happiness. When you, when, when you do the acts that Jesus had, and you, God was using that weak to transform my life. I had been praying, but God is using situations. He took me out of Erlanger and puts me there so I can really see life and really see that what life is all about and also see that he wanted me to go to the next plane. How about you and your life? You know, as I'm thinking, maybe you've given your life to the Lord, but maybe he wants to take you to the next level so you can really not just get by, the higher level of existence, you know, to really enter into delight in him. You know, in the Bible, it talks about Luke 13, 34, you know, how God has been trying for a very long time. I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks in under her wings. We know that God is working with seven billion people, like a giant jigsaw puzzle. Yet he's got to work with all those personalities, respect their freedom of choice, and work with their free wills 
and organize the events in everybody's life here so they could freely choose him. So he's organizing events in your life so that you understand that he is looking. He's looking to take you to somewhere where, where you find real happiness and real things last forever. And before I close today, I want to share a very meaningful story. And you're not going to get it, but you're going to get it. I want to take you to the University of Havana. Kind of crazy, a story, huh? That's the University of Havana. And uh, there was a young man. His name was Reuben. And Reuben was born on March 13, 1931. Reuben was a young man that was just like you and me. He wanted to uh, live life to the fullest. See, Reuben was uh, wanting to make it big. He had a sister. He was raised in a Christian home, and, and, had a very, and his sister was very tenderhearted and, and, and listened to God and was very committed to God. But Reuben had, had his own ideas of how he wanted to live his life. So Reuben, one day... Uh, he was very intelligent and handsome. He had girls and he had, uh, you know, things. And, and he was working as a transfusionist at a very famous hospital there in Cuba. Me, like me, a perfusionist, transfusionist. But they didn't have perfusionists back in 53. So he's working as a transfusionist. And Reuben goes to school like any other day. But they're having demonstrations at that school. And Reuben thought he had the life. You know, he had the life. He, you know, he's going to continue living life and achieve all his dreams. Reuben was in medical school, and he was, he was excelling in medical school. But that day they had demonstrations, and what, I didn't tell you that Reuben's last name was Batista, right? And Batista's name was the president's name of Cuba. And there was another person coming into power at that time. His name was Fidel Castro. And Fidel Castro didn't like Batista's. So in that demonstration, they singled out this young man, Reuben. Little did he know that was going to be his day. And so Reuben, in that demonstration, that mayhem, was shot at point blank in the stomach. And Reuben was dying. They took him to the hospital. And immediately when he went to the hospital, after a few days, you know, he had all those girlfriends around him and all those people. But he, he told his little sister, he told his little sister, who's today is in the audience, he said, I've been running from God, and God has been wanting me all along, but I have been running from him, and I haven't dedicated my life to him. Reuben decided to give his life to God, because he knew God was calling him, and he still had a chance. Reuben lived for 29 days. He was shot and he died uh, February 13th, day before Valentine's Day, he died. His sister, my mother, remembers Reuben telling him, I love that song, Under His Wings. That's the song we sang today. And when I think about this song, and I think about Under His Wings, I think about what God has been doing for each one of us. You see, from the beginning of the Bible, God has done everything possible to reach you and me. God has said, I made man, right? 
And I made him in my image. And I breathed into him. I said, Lord, that's pretty specific language. You made a lot of things. But God wants to communicate to you and me that he made us in his image. We're his kids. He breathed intimately into us. You see, you understand what it means to be his kids? He loves us with this pure, beautiful love. And all throughout the Bible, he's showing you through word pictures, through 40 different authors in different styles, what he really wants. He wants you home. He's showing you what life is, the realities of life, Ecclesiastes. Life is just but a vapor. He's telling you things. He's trying to teach you and show you, but a lot of people don't read the Bible. So God has to use situations. God has to use situations sometimes to reach people and circumstances. And at the end of the Bible, he closes the Bible and he talks in Revelation 3.20. That's my uncle Reuben. And that's when he laid in the bed. He was a handsome guy, wasn't he? You know, you can see why it was hard for him to kind of want to surrender, right? And uh, he's laying in the bed there. It's the only picture that happened when he's dying. He's kind of scared there, you know? And Reuben wanted to see Jesus when Jesus came. He told me. And Jesus wants us when he comes. He wants each one of us. You see, because there's nobody else made like us. We're the only us. And at the end of the book of Revelation, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if you open that door, I will come into you, and I will sup with you and you with me. See, God says, I want intimacy with you. You're my kids. I made you in my image. There's nobody else, Brandon Sermon, there's nobody else like you. I can't replace you. Nobody could replace Joe or Habib or Omar or Mary or John. It broke God's heart when that son was crying. He loved him for 13 years. God loved him in a greater love than his son. Beautiful, perfect love. God doesn't, can't imagine heaven without us. And so God is using situations, sermons. If you're here today, it's not because of a coincidence. God is calling. I'm going to invite Emily, Emily to come forward. I've asked her to sing a special song today. You see, there's no coincidences why God has you here today and why God's trying to reach out to you because he's done everything possible. He sent his son to die. The maximum thing he could do to reach us. And he's doing it in many different ways. And if today you have felt that God has, is, you've maybe not surrendered fully to God and that God is trying to reach you and maybe you've been too busy, maybe you've been caught up in social media, maybe you've been chasing fame, you know, in sports, or maybe you've been looking for material wealth and power and fame. Some of these guys lived in Beverly Hills. They had million-dollar homes, and they were just dying there. God says, that's just temporary. I want you to, with me, real happiness, real intimacy, and forever. And so as Emily sings this appeal song, if you would like to respond to God, not to me. Right, if you want to respond to God, I invite you to stand up as Emily sings. And, and then, if you would like a special prayer, you'd like to dedicate your life to God in a very more intimate way. Maybe you've been away from God. And maybe you, you need to really, really, really come close to God. I'm going to ask you to come to the front. 
And I want to pray with you. As Emily sings this song, I invite you to stand if you want to commit your life to him and come to the front if you want a special prayer. I faced a mountain that I never faced before. That's why I'm calling on you, Lord. And I know it's been a while, but Lord, please hear my prayer. I need you like I never have before. Sometimes it takes a mountain, sometimes a troubled sea. Sometimes it takes a desert to get a hold of me. Your love is so much stronger than whatever troubles me. Sometimes it takes a mountain to trust you and believe. Forgive me, Jesus, I thought I could control whatever life would throw my way. Oh, but this I will admit has brought me to my knees i need you lord and i'm not ashamed to say sometimes it takes a mountain sometimes a troubled sea sometimes it takes a desert to get a hold of me your love is so much stronger than whatever troubles me Sometimes it takes a mountain to trust you and believe.